This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 167. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. And today I have with me doing today's news episode, Jacob Paulson. Yes, and I am healthy and alive, unlike you. I am sick as a dog, but still recording. Yeah, I don't hey. know. It's just It seems like it just won't go away, man. No, it is beating me down, man. You know, it felt like I was getting better towards the end of last week, and then it started getting worse. What is up with that? I don't know, but because the show must go on, the show must go on. So be it. Today, we've got all kinds of uh, crazy stories, as is typical, I think. <laughs> now, we have some really good ones and uh, some interesting stories as well. Uh, we're going to talk about a... Uh, well, one of the politicians that is very much well-known for his pro-gun control stances is now advising his cohorts to maybe tone it down a little. I found that interesting. We'll get into that one, and many many of you will recognize uh, this man. Australia is just wrapping up their 2017 gun illegal gun amnesty program, and some interesting results from that one. I think it, a lot of lessons to be learned from this Australian-type gun control that many like to suggest we should follow. <laughs> and, of course, a whole host of awesome, justified stories with lots to learn from those stories. Today's episode, though, first of all, is brought to you by Andrew Branca's The Law of Self-Defense. ConcealedCarry.com and Andrew Branca, we've joined forces together to bring to you the best legal education out there, I think, as far as self-defense is concerned. Jacob, I'm pretty sure, agrees. And yeah, he's the best. Yeah, I mean, he the guy knows his stuff. He's written the book on the law of self-defense. And if you haven't written that book or read that book, <laughs> not that you would write the book. If you have not read that book, I'd recommend that you go do that. Uh, check out in the in the show notes we have a link there concealedcarry.com forward slash l-o-s-d and you'll see that we have a couple options there one for live classes one to buy uh dvds one to buy the book and uh i don't remember what the fourth thing was <laughs> but uh the book program is, oh that's right yes but the book is a great book and a life-changing book for me I read it and uh, highly recommend it and, and definitely think it's a must read for anybody that takes self-defense seriously. Also, you'll find uh, on the Law of Self-Defense website a bunch of Andrew's upcoming courses listed. He's got some coming up in Central City, Iowa, October 20th. Oh, actually, that just happened. So <laughs> October 28th is another class coming up. Uh, Delaware, Ohio for uh, his level one and level two law of self-defense courses. So check out the full schedule and all of his available products at concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D. And today's episode is also brought to you by Guardian Nation and Sports Afield. But as is customary with these Monday episodes, we have a training tip for today. One that I didn't discuss with you at all, Jacob, but I think you'll get what I mean. And this training tip, and I really do think of it as a tip, 
uh, a must do if you are serious about training, and that is to don't it, that is to not get trapped into thinking that anything is too simple. I'm curious. Yeah, I honestly Jacob, have just, no idea what you mean. Yeah. yeah. When I say don't get trapped into thinking anything is too simple as it relates to training, like what would you what would you think that means? Um, do not think that you are too good or too advanced for doing simple things. Perfect. Huh. Oh, almost How about perfect. That? <laughs> no, I mean, so I was thinking back to our last episode. We talked about putting together your own personal defense training plan. And we talked about a lot of great things, I think, in that episode as far as things to consider and, and things to do or consider doing as you put together your own personal training plan. And you you brought up something at one point. I don't remember exactly what point in that episode it was, but I meant to respond and, and share this little thought of mine, and I, I, I spaced it. And besides, we talked plenty long in that episode anyhow, so I saved that thought for today's episode. And my thought was, that you shouldn't ever go into a training course with the attitude that there's nothing I can get out of it. For instance, many times we have folks come through our basic CCW courses here in Colorado. I know you've experienced this. I've experienced it many times. And you could tell they're just there because, oh, I just got to, you know, I just got to check that that box and say, hey, I went through the requisite course per the law so I could obtain my, you know, apply for and obtain my concealed carry uh, permit. And they just kind of sit there leaning back, arms folded. There ain't nothing you can teach me. Attitude, right? And that's the wrong kind of attitude. And we see that in live training as well. You know, live fire courses. Uh, I've been there where I've attended training and it was, maybe it didn't meet quite my expectations. It was a little simpler, you know, a little more basic, uh, fundamental type stuff. And uh, where it's like, you know, there's, there's definitely others that are maybe on your same skill level. And you sort of see them turn off the, the brain because, oh, this is, this is beneath me. I've already been, been there, done that. And I really think that's the wrong attitude because I, I've found... When you have a positive attitude and when you, you approach every class and every learning opportunity with the attitude that m- maybe this is a lot of review, but there's, there's got to be something in there somewhere that I can, you know, I, I, I can sort of pick that one little piece out and I can learn something new today. I think you'll, I think you will find that something new to learn if you will approach it with the attitude of trying to find something to learn. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I also, it makes me just think about, generally speaking, the idea that believing any given drill or skill is too below me, right? Like, is it below me to just practice good grip or good stance? Uh, you know, things that in theory I've mastered because I've been doing this for a while. And that's what your training tip makes me think of is is that, yeah, sure, like never go into it with the attitude you can't learn anything. But it also makes me think that, you know, those simple core fundamental things are so critical and can always be improved on. And uh, it's not like riding a bike. They're all, they are, in fact, perishable skills. So we need to you know, be on top of the simple stuff as much as we are anything that one might deem complicated yeah, or not simple. Yeah. You know, the other thing it causes me to think is every once in a while we get those reviews of the podcast, Jacob, that's like, ah, it's too basic. It's basic information. There's nothing here for an experienced concealed carrier or an experienced shooter. And you know what? 
that's fine. Maybe the show isn't for you. And by the way, we never promised in this podcast that it would ever be, you know, super advanced or super crazy stuff that we would, you know, talk about the secret sauce, you know, those secret little tricks and things about making you a, a super duper shooter. <laughs> well, I, I think that I think in, inherently that's the problem, but maybe that's a topic for a different podcast. Yeah. That someone believes that there is some secret sauce or shiny stones, um, <laughs> you know, that, that that anyone anywhere ever gets taught to jump out of helicopters and hit moving targets on the ground. That inherently is probably a separate problem for another day to discuss. But uh, yeah, the point is, you know, ultimately, right. the best shooters in the world just do the fundamental basic stuff. They just happen to do it perfectly flawlessly all the time without any uh, you know, distraction. And, and that's exactly my point. And you can't get to a point where you execute all the fundamentals perfectly if you ever think that you are perfect or you're too far advanced to spend time or focus on the basics and the fundamentals. So anyway, today's tip was about attitude and I hope that you'll have the right one and approach everything as it relates to learning about self-defense, learning about shooting, whatever, with an attitude that says, I'm going to try to learn something new today. Uh, because I, I promise you, 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 you can find it. It's out there. All righty. So let's get into our first news story. And this one is from, it's a uh, CBS affiliate uh, uh, news uh, site, chicago.cbslocal.com. And the title is that study finds mass killings not on the rise over past decade. And I, I know you'd probably die, dove into this one a little bit, Jacob. Uh, but, you know, th basically the, that the gist of this story is, that a researcher from the University of Illinois looks looked back the last ten years, uh, ba well, basically from 2006 to 2016, uh, and this was conducted by uh, a professor Sheldon Jacobson. Now, interestingly enough, he's a computer science professor, so I don't know that I would say he is a specialist in this area or not. But regardless, he looked at that that date of ranges or range of dates. Uh, actually, January 2006 to October 2016, and he found that there were 323 such mass killings. And defining mass killings is uh, an incident where four or more people were killed, okay, in one single incident. So 323 such incidents in a little more than 10 years. And what he found was that these mass killings appeared to be evenly distributed over that time, meaning that their rate at which they occurred remained fairly stable over the past decade, and there was not a particular spike or anything during a, a season or a year. Okay, and that's this yeah. is quoting from this this CBS uh, Chicago.cbslocal.com article, and uh, I mean he's pulling basically straight from FBI crime you know uh, data, and this is what he found. Yeah, I have a couple thoughts on this one. I mean, for what I would like to see if the number of deaths from mass shootings is stable over time or if it's increasing. Because, you know, it, it's easy to say, okay, you know, any in, in terms of number of incidents, it hasn't increased, which I still think is a valid point, and I'll come back to it for sure. But I also am curious about 
well, but are these incidents taking more lives now than they did before? Are there, you know, are more people dying? That would be a valid question to ask. And I think one that should have been answered uh, in this data. So anyway, my two cents about that. But yeah, I, I think the point that that's kind of being made here is that if you perceive that these incidents happen more frequently, it's because the media covers them more strongly now than they used to. Uh, there's also a good point here that I thought was good. Quote, family mass killings are over three times more likely to occur than a public killing. So meaning that the vast majority of the time when four or more people are killed in one incident, it's not something that happens at random in public, like we are accustomed to you know, seeing you know, on the news, like the Vegas incident or Orlando or Newtown or Aurora or whatever. But more often than not, you know, incidents that qualify per the FBI standard as mass shootings or killings uh, tend to be you know, family matters, somebody killing multiple family members. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing, you know, you pointed out one there too about how uh, it's more likely that uh, that a family uh, killing be classified as a mass killing or mass murder, uh, and unfortunately, we do see that quite often. Uh, it's sad. Now, another statistic here is that guns are are like are likely to be used in seventy five percent of these incidents, whereas the rest are uh, knives or arson or other uh, weapons. Um, and I, I'm actually reminded of a family back from my hometown a number of years ago, but I think would be during this time frame, by the way, a uh, family of four or five, you know, two parents and a couple of kids, uh, that, uh, and, and no one knows what happened. There was no evidence. There was no letter, no suicide note, nothing left behind, uh, but uh, the inv- investigation showed that it definitely was intentional, and it was uh, apparent that the father had uh, uh, set his home on fire, and you know killed the whole family inside. And uh, it's it's crazy, you know. I mean, but you know, I know that one class of uh, people would point at things like this, and they say, "Well, seventy-five percent of these things." maybe could be stopped because in 75% of them guns were used. And if we could only control guns more then we would stop, you know, a big proportion of these. And I'm thinking, no, not, it's not that simple because where there's a will, there's a way as is evidenced in some of these non gun killings. Um, guns certainly do make things convenient. Um, but, uh, it seems like every week in the news I, I hear of, murders, you know, uh, even within families. Uh, just this last week in Colorado Springs, this was a tragic story. A son, uh, a, a, you know, a son of a family. Okay. So a boy killed two of his siblings with knives and, uh, was caught and, and subdued by his father who he also tried to attack with that knife in their sleep. Um, anyway, the tool's not the issue in most cases. I don't believe I, I it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know what exactly the issues are. It's sad to see all the the killing that does take place. Mm-hmm. But this 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 study is interesting. You know, coming from what probably some people would would think of as being a um, you know university where you might not expect to see this type of result from a study like this come from um, that it's pointing and suggesting that. Uh, there's not anything unusual in recent times as far as the rate at which these mass killings have occurred. And I know that there's one particular side of the gun control debate that would suggest 
that, uh, you know, w- with Las Vegas and Newtown and all these things that have happened in recent in the recent couple of years here, uh, that maybe things are increasing or getting worse, um, and that that's due to this gun culture that we have in America. Yeah, clearly that's not the case. Uh, violent crime is low and lower than you know than ever before in the last twenty years or something like that. And uh, yeah, these mass killings obviously are stable. It's not increasing. But like I said, the data does not say if the number of deaths, deaths. is increasing. Sure. And that's a fair point. And it wouldn't be that hard to to actually extrapolate uh, that, that data because I mean, the FBI has that data as well yeah. um, in, you know, in this, the same data these guys were looking at in this study. They, they'd be able, you know, they should know that. Um, if we fired them off uh, an email, they they could probably tell us that as well. I would think. I would think. Let's go now to thehill.com. And speaking of the gun control debate, and you know, everyone says it's about common sense gun control, about preventing you know deaths and saving lives. Yet we we have some on the pro gun control side that maybe are a little hypocritical. I don't know. Jacob, uh, tell us about this next story. Yep. So you have Dana. Uh, how do you pronounce her last name? Is it Loesch? That's I how I always say it. La- Lash. Lash? Sure. I, I hear it pronounced that way all the time. Well, then you, you do better than I. So Dana Lash, uh, she's an NRA spokeswoman. I think people know her. She's got a, a big, big background in radio. And she, these days, seems to be everywhere in the media uh, being interviewed about gun control initiatives and things like that. But she's very outspoken. Um, frankly, she's of all the NRA spokespeople, she seems, she seems to be uh, one of the more outspoken. And essentially, over this weekend, uh, she was tweeting about how she had to move because of the numerous repeated threats from gun control advocates. And she went on to detail what some of those threats were. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Does, I mean, does it you, Riley? Are you shocked? I mean, think think about it. You know, there are some people who they have lost loved ones to violent crime uh, where a firearm was involved. And in their mind, you know, the, the, their emotion is such that they feel that greater gun control is necessary to prevent future people from feeling that same amount of loss and pain. And when they're that committed and feel that strongly about something, uh, it doesn't surprise me that they might reach out to someone they see as the face of these kind of of the problem, you know, that dreaded NRA and their spokespeople, and make a threat, you know, shut up about guns or else, kind of thing. Right. No, I'm not surprised at all. Uh, you know, and what we're dealing with here is extremists, uh, because it, it's not all that different than. Uh, you know, there's some pro-animal rights groups out there uh, that have been known to make threats towards people that harm animals, and it's like, huh, interesting. You know, double standard, maybe. You know, in the in this in this uh, name of protecting animals, that uh, you would go so far as to threaten the lives of people, uh, and this is not all that different. We're saying in the name of saving lives, we need greater gun control. But Dana, you are so vocal. Uh, about being pro-gun, that we're going to come after you and attack you. Now, listen to some of these threats that were made. Now, the first tweet was, uh, and she she numbered these tweets. So, number one, spent my weekend preparing to move due to repeated threats from gun control advocates. Two, one guy hunted down my private cell phone number, called when police were here, threatened to shoot me in my front yard. 
Three, another guy created a string of social media accounts, posted photos of my house, threatened to rape me to death. Four, another gun control advocate, after threatening to hunt me down and assault me, dragged my kids into it. Uh, this is, this is well, well, I was going to say unacceptable, and I would almost say amazingly, no, very appropriately, uh, and I have to give credit where credit is due, even though I do not agree with her one bit, uh, and that is Chelsea Clinton, who, of course, is a staunch gun control advocate, and she tweeted and said, uh, Dana, this is all awful and unacceptable. Those of us who disagree with you, the strongest, have a particular responsibility to strongly condemn. So, you know, that's why I had to give credit. I mean, even though I don't agree with Chelsea Clinton on hardly anything, and, you know, she's obviously on the other side of things, she at least has enough common sense to recognize that there are those on her own side uh, that are stepping across uh, lines that should not be crossed. In this regard, these threats are unacceptable. Bringing Dana's kids into it, totally and wholly unacceptable. Uh, I, I dare say that no one would probably actually follow through with any of these threats, but still, you have to take these types of threats seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that well, well said. I don't, I don't have much to add to that. And and I believe, you know, if we're talking like, are the majority of the people out there the people who are making these threats, or are they the people that uh, you know are Chelsea Clinton style, and I think Chelsea is probably representing the majority. I don't believe that most of your gun control advocates or smart gun law advocates out there, um, you know, wish any harm or violence upon those of us they oppose. So I'm inclined to say that the majority of them are good, normal humans, just sorely mistaken about their policies. Sure, <laughs> where it comes to Second Amendment in particular. Mm. Next story. And this one is uh, from. <laughs> oh, hang on a sec. <coughs> I couldn't catch that one in time. Uh, Chuck Schumer tells fellow Democrats to avoid gun politics. The Hill is reporting, and this is uh, from conservativefiringline.com. The Hill is reporting that Senate Democrat leader Charles Schumer is counseling fellow Democrats to stay away from the gun issue. That may, be, that may come as a surprise from the man on Capitol Hill who has made a career of pushing gun control. His party has come to be known as the Party of Gun Control. The article spells out Schumer's motivation, and I think these are real. This is really telling. And quoting from that article, it says, "In next year's midterms, however, Democrats will be defending ten seats in states won by Trump in last year's election, including West Virginia, Montana, and North Dakota, where guns are a big part of the local culture. Schumer's strategy is based, at least in part, on saving those seats." and potentially winning back the Senate majority next year if if Republicans falter badly. Many believe Donald Trump's victories in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan were due to a turnout of gun owners who did not want Hillary Rodham Clinton anywhere near the Oval Office. She took those states and the voters in them for granted. Trump did not make that mistake. So clearly uh, Chuck Schumer is advising his fellow uh, uh, politicians, his, his fellow Democrats, that, hey, uh, the gun control issue may be a losing issue for us. We may want to tread lightly, especially in some of these more uh, gun-friendly, you know, gun culture-loving states. Yeah, this is a guy who authored the Brady Bill, right? He was around right. in 93 for the Brady Bill. He was around in 94 for the Clinton, uh, you know, what do we want to call it? Assault rifle slash magazine ban. 
Um, he, he was around for that, and he saw 50 of his colleagues fall out of office due to their votes in 93 and 94. So I think he's saying, hey, you know, we, we lost a lot of power on this game last time we went and fought this battle. Maybe we shouldn't keep kicking this dog. Right. I just thought, too, and this is unrelated to this story, uh, you know, we don't have a, a link for what I'm about to mention either, but I just heard on the radio this morning as I was uh, just cruising around town here, taking the kids to school, you know, that sort of thing, that uh, uh, Joe Manchin, who is a uh, rep- or, uh, senator from West Virginia, so I believe he's one of those that they're they're talking about here, he is saying that he does not want... Um, Hillary Clinton to come to West Virginia to campaign on behalf of him or anything like that, and and I suspect it's it's a similar you know uh, you know kind of line of thought here. Uh, now West Virginia is uh, quite a mix demographically and uh, economically, uh, and he has to toe a pretty uh, narrow line. Uh, po- politically, I think, to, to stay safe in his state there. Uh, but one thing he knows for a fact, because he's on record as uh, campaigning as a very much pro-gun uh, Democrat in his state, a uh, famous campaign from a number of years ago showed him firing a rifle, uh, you know, showing, hey, I'm pro-gun, uh, you know, so you got nothing to fear from me. And uh, I, I would not suggests that he would it, that he would be above voting for pro gun control measures on a national level, but uh, he clearly is trying to avoid some of the uh, uh, fallout from this last presidential election cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he just he's trying to be be cautious, right? He's a he's a politician who wants to keep power. <laughs> That's right. Self-preservation. It's like uh, the the number one. <laughs> uh, 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 what's the word? Uh, incentive. Power. Incentive. Yeah. Power. Mo- motive. Whatever amongst politicians. So turning now to a story from Ammo Land, and I know this one caught your attention, Jacob. Uh, so I'll let you kind of take the lead on it, but I'll give you the headline, and it says Australian gun culture. End of the 2017 amnesty 50,000 guns so let's try and put this in context in 1996 australia initiated a mandato- mandatory turn-in uh, and gun confiscation program essentially guns are now illegal unless they're registered to you and registration is obviously a process that requires approval and there's different forms of registration for different kind of you know firearms etc but uh, Australia was smart enough to realize that you know probably not everybody came forward and said, yeah, I got all these guns and I'd like to register them, right? There's still probably some guns out there that are not in the registry and we need to do something about that. So this year, there was an initiative to you know kind of do this amnesty deal where from July 1st of this year to September 26th of this year, any, no, excuse me, from July 1st to, to September 30th, anybody could come forward with one of these illegal guns that's not registered and they could, t- they could take it to a gun store, basically take it to a gun store and turn it in. And then the gun store could choose to either sell it immediately, just turn around and sell it, uh, you know, at full profit, I might add. So it's not like they had to compensate the person to turn it in. They can just turn around and sell it, uh, you know, legally on the up and up to, to somebody who would buy it and register it. Uh, or they could turn it over to the government who would destroy said gun. Now, the 
kind of the main point of this article is that you know the the prime minister of Australia, uh, what is his name? Turnbull, Turnbull, Turn. I don't know how to say it. Uh, prime Minister Turnbull. He really kind of is is going to town saying, hey, this worked out really well. We had a three-month national firearm amnesty, and it led to more than 50,000 firearms being handed in across Australia. This is an overwhelming response and represents a significant reduction in the number of unregistered firearms in the Australian community. Australia has some of the strongest gun laws in the world, but illicit firearms remain a threat to community safety. As a result of this successful amnesty, there are now 50,000 fewer firearms on the streets. While the amnesty is now finished, the Justice Minister Michael Keenan is encouraging people who still have unregistered firearm or who come into possession of an unregistered firearm to contact their local police station or firearm registry, end quote. So the point, and, and this is really kind of cool because the person who wrote this article, Dean, uh, on Ammo Land. Yeah, yeah, I went yeah, he's and he's been there for a while. He says that he was in Australia for some of this period of time, and he was able to talk to a lot of gun shops and gun stores about what they were seeing. And to me, there was a lot of really interesting kind of like, what kind of moments as I read through this. Yeah, it's a great article, and there's a lot of detail with uh, quite a few statistics as well. He's got a number of uh, charts here, uh, 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 you know, what's the word? Um Charts, yeah. Tables, charts. Tables, thank you. Table is the other word. Um, and uh, he, he obviously has spent quite a bit of time there. In fact, he says right from the get-go that uh, he's, he was in Australia for the, the majority of the time that this amnesty program was going on, which started on July 1st of this year and ended on uh, September 30th. And he was there on, from July 1st until September 26th. So literally he was there for, for the entire time except for the last couple of days. Um, and so, I mean, this, this is great because, I mean, this is like straight from the source. I mean, a man that was there and could talk with people on the ground um, a lot of these being gun owners and gun shop owners that really get what's going on in Australia. And so I think his depiction of this program and the results of it is probably about as accurate a picture as, as you could probably find. He, he goes into a couple, you know, quite a few different things here. Uh, you know, even talking about how the way they classify this and, and, and by Australian law, um, even parts of a gun could be considered as a gun. And so that there was a number of folks that just turned in gun parts and that those, you know, parts like let you could, let's say I took apart an entire gun, you know, a Glock that has 35 or 36 parts. And I turned in those 35 or 36 parts separately, individually, whatever. And like each one of those parts, assuming they were all in different locations where they were turned in at, uh, would likely be counted as, as a gun that was turned in. And uh, so the statistics may be misleading as far as, you know, 50,000 being turned in. Now, he supposes that perhaps about 5% of so-called guns that were turned in were, were likely gun parts that were actually surrendered. Okay, so that was one thing I thought was interesting. The other thing is that, uh, this is my own personal opinion, you know, interpreting a lot of this. And I'm thinking, out of those that turned in guns... How many of those do you think, Jacob, are likely criminals that had intent, had they not turned them in, you know, had intent to commit a crime with those guns? Zero, right? Because if you ever had any future intent of committing a crime with that gun, you wouldn't turn it in, especially without compensation. 
Exactly. And so the irony of this whole program, this amnesty program, you know, they're saying there's all these illegal guns out there and we got to get those off the streets. The prime minister, he even said that he's like, there, now there's 50,000 less guns on the streets. But the irony is that most of those are basically normal Joe, you know, Australians, you know, regular folks that somehow they ended up, you know, in a lot of these, they suggested were air guns, air rifles, that up until 1996 were not regulated at all. And this was news to me, and you and I were talking about this pre-show in our prep, about how air guns in Australia are registered, just like regular guns. Yep. And that there was a time when likely people wouldn't, you know, they would choose not to register those because, you know, an air gun that might cost, say, 40 or 50 bucks but there was a $30 registration fee. I mean, it didn't make a lot of sense economically to register an air rifle that cost barely more than the registration fee to begin with. And that, you know, once upon a time, every, everybody in a, in their, in, 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 and their kids had air rifles or air guns. And so that there was thousands and thousands or millions of these things in, in Australia that likely have been still out there and are still out there uh, rusting away. Uh, that you know, many of these were turned in uh, by law-abiding folk that decide, okay, all right, there's an amnesty program. You know, finally now I can, you know, I, that rusted air rifle that I dug out of the barn that I had forgotten about years ago. Now I can turn that in. So uh, basically, it's a program that makes the politicians feel really good but likely does absolutely nothing in terms of uh, reducing the number of illegal guns out there. And by that, I mean those that are actually being used by criminals. Keep in mind that according to this article, one out of every eight handguns confiscated in Australia has been illegally made at home or in a small shop in Australia, and that most crime with guns is committed with illegal handguns or homemade Submachine guns, virtually all of them illegally possessed. We've talked about it before on the podcast. A number of dozens of episodes ago, we featured a story going into some of the numbers in Australia that basically all tell the same story. And by the way, I think that was also the last time we talked about it. I think it was also a Dean Weingarten article. Uh, but the point is, Australia has an illegal gun program that most of the pro gun control world does not want to admit or doesn't know about. They say, this is the ideal model. We should follow Australia. We should do this. We should outlaw semi-automatic rifles. Blah, 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 blah. We should register everything. Blah, blah, blah. But the fact is, there's still a lot of criminals running around committing crimes with illegal guns because that's what criminals do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought this was really interesting talking about how many criminals were, were making guns at home um, and, and found that really interesting because I haven't seen any stats on that yet out of Australia. And this is a little anecdotal. It's not very clear on the numbers and, and specifics, but it, it, it does kind of give you a sense for, you know, when guns are illegal, that we can just make them. Got, you know, mechanically, a firearm is not a complicated thing. Yeah. Oh, it, it, you know, you can look at, you can build a very basic, uh, you know, grease gun, we'll call them. You know, I mean, a very basic blowback action uh, uh, a submachine gun with few parts and very, very simple mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, that's really at the core of why confiscating or making illegal all guns 
uh, taking guns away from Americans or from the rest of the world for that matter is virtually an impossible task. Because what did I say earlier? Where there's a will, there is a way. And in today's age, including with 3D printing capabilities, uh, where, I mean, not that you could make an entire gun just by a 3D printer, but, but you could definitely make a lot of it. And I know that's been a controversial thing in the past. People have, you know, talked about uh, some of the laws surrounding 3D printers as it relates to gun manufacturing. But still, the fact is, uh, if somebody wants to make a gun, I mean, there's there's a way. Uh, it's not rocket science. So, anyway, that was a mm-hmm. fascinating article and and something to to think of and consider. And it's great, I think, fuel to throw back at the anti-gunners and say, look. Your, you know, little uh, perfect worldview as you think things ought to be and as they will be if you simply get your way on these gun control issues, it's not that simple. It it never is. So let's uh, switch gears now. And and, uh, obviously still on the minds and in the hearts of uh, many Americans is the tragedy that occurred in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, about three weeks ago now. And uh, obviously there's still a lot of recovery going on there uh, and will continue to be that way for some time. And obviously an ongoing investigation where uh, still details are a little slow to come out as to exactly what happened. I I suspect that'll come though eventually. But this I think is a a more of a feel-good story. And that's why I'm happy to present it to you today. And uh, the title of this is Survivor of Las Vegas Shooting Starts Fund for First Responders. This was on guns.com. And I, I really like and appreciate this. And by the way, this, this guy is from Colorado here. Uh, originally, he's from New Mexico, but mm-hmm. uh, but he's from North Glen, Colorado, which is uh, pretty close to where Jacob lives. Um, and so one of the sur- survivors of the uh, Las Vegas shooting is 38-year-old Chad Robertson, and he has decided to create the Las Vegas First Responder Thank You Fund. His goal to try and raise $100,000 in order to make 1,000 gift baskets for the first responders affected by the shooting, including police officers, firefighters, and nurses. Uh, he said that he felt it was important. He told the Farmington Daily Times, his hometown of Farmington, New Mexico, where his father is a former uh, deputy fire chief. He told him it was, he felt it was important to recognize all those who ran into harm's way in order to try and help during the shooting. Uh, those guys, quoting him from a phone interview, those guys are victims as well. They'll have a hard time going through things. And boy, isn't that the truth. Everyone that was there that night um, and was involved, including our first responders, they will all pay the price of having been there. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, th- if, if when bolts are spraying, you know, everyone has to get has to suffer. And when you, you know, I, I think if you think about what what an average law enforcement officer or first responder would assume when they're responding on that kind of a scene. They're probably assuming that someone's on the ground with a firearm, and they, they're walking into what you know some would call an outright trap, uh, and it is it is not a, a fun situation to be in. So yeah, I think any effort to support those people should be applauded. So you know, go go, Chad. Yeah, no, I I think if you have uh, desires to uh, 
help and contribute to this fund. Uh, I think it's worthwhile. Uh, I will include a link in the show notes just under, it'll be uh, uh, just underneath this story in the show notes uh, where you can go and, and contribute to that fund. Um, I just, I think it's wonderful because sometimes people, I mean, we don't want to forget the victims either in this. And I know that there's been a number of funds set up for them, but sometimes the first responders are overlooked and it's not, and it's also overlooked as, as far as the mental and emotional toll uh, that things like this take on on those first responders. I have a dear friend who is a nurse and was in the emergency room where many of the victims of the Aurora Theater shooting uh, were taken uh, that fateful night. And uh, I know that for him personally, that emotional toll has been immense as uh, it was very difficult for him to, I mean, you know, you do what you do and you go to work uh, because your job is to save lives. And, uh, but, uh, you know, when he finally had the time to step back and contemplate and think about what happened and what he had witnessed, uh, it, it, uh, it was very painful. So, um, anyway, I appreciate, uh, Chad and, uh, others that, uh, uh, have that, uh, uh, that perspective as well. And, um, so anyway, if you'd like to, uh, feel free. Go go and uh, donate. I, I think that's a, a wonderful cause. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Las Vegas, obviously bump stocks have been uh, at the forefront of, of media reports, and um, many of which have been uh, false or inaccurate in their reporting. Uh, but, you know, it's been uh, contemplated about this uh, or debated about these bump stocks and that perhaps they should be, um, you know, uh, outlawed. And, uh, of course, that, that goes against uh, our stance here at concealedcarry.com. We have you and I both, Jacob, have been on record as, uh, you know, not, <laughs> not wanting to outlaw these bump stocks. It, it wouldn't solve anything. It wouldn't have necessarily prevented this attack. But uh, one Georgia uh, po- politician uh, has an interesting take on bump stocks and as far as uh, what he is doing with them. Yeah, this is pretty awesome. So Georgia GOP gubernational, I love saying gubernational. How about gubernatorial? I know, but it sounds, it looks like goober, (laughs) gubernational. I just love goober. I agree. I just like saying goober. (laughs) I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, Michael Williams, you're not a goober. At least I don't think you are. I don't know anything about you, but I just couldn't pass up. Anytime I see gubernatorial, I just want to say goober. So, Michael Williams announced on Tuesday that he is going to give away a free bump stock to, quote, one lucky winner. I don't know how you enter to win. Maybe you have to live in Georgia. I'm not sure. But basically, he's calling out all these efforts to outlaw bump stocks and saying it's complete, you know, lip service. It's just another thing to blame in order to motivate people to promote gun control initiatives. He thinks that they don't actually save lives. They won't limit the number of people who get killed. And so we just need to you know, move on, let go. And just to really kind of make his point, he's going to give one away. Yeah, uh, there's a link if you, if you follow that story. And uh, I'm going through the process right now, Jacob, to register, to enter, to win a bump stock. I'm going to see what this is all about. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm going to guess it has something to do with, uh, if you'll please contribute to my campaign. Uh, but so far, by looking at this form, uh, I don't see anything that requires me to donate uh, to uh, get one of these. And it 
Doesn't seem to suggest that I have to be a resident of Georgia, but hey, let's see what happens here. Enter to win. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's thinking. It's thinking. Oh, oh, oh <laughs> here we go. Um, our campaign is powered by the people, not lobbyists and special interest groups. Please make a donation of any amount to join our fight against the establishment. If not you, who will step up? And there's, you know, of course, a typical, you know, make a contribution to my campaign uh, sort of thing there. Well, that's what I thought. It's all good, though. This is really cool. I mean, if, if a politician wants to make it clear what his stance is on the Second Amendment, what better way than to give away uh, something that is so controversial at this time? Um, he's made it very clear that in his mind that, uh, you know, as he states here, this is a quote from him, the tragedy in Las Vegas broke my heart, but any talk of banning or regulating bump stocks is merely cheap political lip service from career politicians. In reality, the bump stock is the new shining object politicians are using to deceive voters into believing they are taking action against gun violence. Bam. There you have it. I I have nothing more to add. Uh, you know what? Just for kicks and giggles, I'm going to drop the link in the show notes. If you want to go enter this giveaway, by all means do. And if you want to support his candidacy, hey, what's to stop me from suggesting that as well? Each their That's own. up to you. Yeah. Yeah. So cool stuff. So now we are to that point, Jacob, uh, where each week we had the opportunity to talk about justified stories. And these are those stories that feature uh, usually uh, law-abiding citizens using lawful self-defense, perhaps even deadly uh, force in self-defense. And there's always so many lessons that I think we are able to, to learn from these stories that we share each week on the podcast I just love it. And I love the fact, too, that, you know, I was watching this video recently, uh, a guy, you know, it's one of those classic, you know, kind of gotcha journalism sort of, you know, spiels where this guy's walking down the sidewalk trying to talk to these pro-gun control ladies. They were all ladies in the case of his video. And uh, nothing against the ladies. But he's talking to them and asking them questions. And, uh, you know, one of them says, I'm in, I'm in this I, I, I'm for gun control to save lives. And I love the fact, Jacob, that every week we get to point out stories where lives are saved because of a lawful use of a gun. Yep. And the first one is out of Indiana. You ready? Fire away. So an 84-year-old man. Now, let's just, just pause right there. You know, we, 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 we have people of all ages that end up being justified shooters, but 84, that's, that is not a young dude, right? I mean, I don't know what the life, what's the average life expectancy in this country? 84. I think it's right around 80 years. Yeah. You probably have pushed it. Yeah. I'm checking. I'm Googling it. Hold on. U.S. life expectancy in 2011 was 78.7. All right. So this guy is living longer than the average person. So I'm going to try and create the narrative here. He sees two masked men uh, lurking around his home. And he says that they were in a truck, but they must not have stayed in a truck because at one point um, there's some surveillance video that shows them using an ax to break down the door of a barn. Okay. Now I don't know how long he watched them and I'm not entirely sure what all he saw them do before he acted, but he says that when he saw the robbers getting close to another home where his grandson was staying, he grabbed his gun. 
So I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, maybe he owns multiple homes on the property or maybe, you know, his grandson lives next door or something. But, but he saw these bad dudes approach this other house where his grandson was staying. Didn't say his child. So maybe his grandson was with a friend. I don't know. But he grabbed his gun and he opened fire. Now, bear in mind that if you're 84, your grandson could be 35. He's a grown man. Yeah. I, I mean, you're. Probably, we're not talking about a toddler for sure. So he grabs his gun and he opens fire on these robbers who are getting close to this other home where his grandson was staying. No one was injured in the shooting, uh, but two suspects were caught, which I always find that funny when we don't actually hit the people. We don't hit our targets, but they still somehow get caught. I don't know. Maybe they got scared and you know submitted themselves like, oh, please don't shoot us. And cops showed up. I, I don't know. But the police are looking for a third suspect. But without question, this is one of those situations where you know, they had an axe and they were using it to break down doors. So the the firearm was probably well justified and could have saved some lives for sure. Yeah, you know, that's what's so great about stories like this. I think because, yes, a gun was used in this instance. And the beauty of it is that it, it prevents them from continuing to break into uh, whether it's these barns or, the, or homes. Uh, it's clear they had a weapon. I mean, an axe could certainly be viewed as and used as a weapon. And in this case, I mean, I'll tell you what, a couple of guys on your property busting through stuff with an ax, to me, that looks pretty threatening. And, but he's able to use a gun and whether he tried to hit them or not is irrelevant. And whether he hit them or not is irrelevant. The fact is he stopped them from continuing to present a threat to those in his home or neighboring home or what, however the situation is there with his grandson in a, in a neighboring home. Uh, and that's the beautiful thing because no one actually gets hurt, but yet the gun facilitated an 84 year old, you know, arguably defenseless, uh, at risk adult. It enabled him to stop this threat from being a threat. And I love it. I dig it. Yep. It's a winner. Yeah, for sure. Next story is out of Greenville County, South Carolina. And of course, some, so many of these websites nowadays, you know, they got to start automatically playing a video when you go to them. As I'm sure some of you that follow our uh, podcast and our show notes and you go to these websites, you'll find out yourself. But uh, this story, neighbor sees man being beaten, robbed, fatally shoots suspect, investigators say. Now, this actually happened a couple weeks ago, but uh, it is now just hitting uh, our, you know, our uh, whatever. (laughs) It's now just hitting the show. Yeah. 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 Yeah, We just found out about this one. So Um, you have three, you have three bad guys. Uh, Shane, Tracy, and Jeffrey. They're 25, 32, and 31. They go into a home and hold a man at gunpoint inside that home and demand money. So imagine that scenario, right? You got three dudes. They got somebody in their home and like, yo, give us money or we're going to shoot you. Because generally when you have a gun in your hand and you're pointing at somebody, you're probably making threats about killing them. And a neighbor saw the struggle so that's, that's the first thing. It's like, well, how did the neighbor see the struggle? I don't know. Maybe all the windows were open and they don't have privacy fences and 
just looked in. He's like, hey, like, look. Like my, your house. Like, like my neighborhood. Yeah, where everybody <laughs> everybody. So maybe he just like looked. He's like, hey, look, my neighbor's got like bad people pointing a gun at him. I, we don't know, right? And so anyway, the neighbor grabs his gun. And it's not clear if he went into the home or from a distance, but he started shooting at the bad guys. And he's a decent shot because he hit at least one of them at least once, uh, Bradley, who died at the hospital. And the other two are being charged with first-degree burglary, attempted armed robbery, possession of a weapon during a violent crime, criminal conspiracy, and kidnapping. Wow. That's a host of charges. Uh, yeah, you know, I, once again, I love this story. I love stories like this uh, because you have a neighbor, and this is, not, this is far from the first time this, you know, that we've shared stories like this. You have a neighbor who steps up to protect his neighbor. And, uh, you know, that is, to me, that's just the epitome of, of America, man. You know, where, yeah, we have our freedom. We have our rights. Uh, we enjoy those, hopefully, to the to the fullest extent. And at the same time, we got our neighbors back. Uh, and so, you know, here we've got this man that sees this struggle going on, and he takes it into his own hands, and he doesn't have to. He's not obligated to. Uh, in fact, it's perhaps even advised, don't get involved because you're opening a can of worms. But but that's like what America's about, man, is my neighbor is being threatened, perhaps is about to be killed. I, I can't have that happen. You know, this is my neighborhood. This is my neighbor. And this guy goes over and uh, like, like I said, he, he fired a shot. He hit... Uh, Jeffrey Bradley, at least once it says, who unfortunately later died uh, as a result of those wounds. Um, and I say unfortunately because I, I mean I truly mean that. I don't take life uh, lightly. But uh, these guys brought it upon themselves. Um, it's a shame. It shouldn't have happened, but it did happen. And I applaud this neighbor for being a good neighbor. Yep, and, and I would add, you know, you teach their own, you know, to decide whether or not you would intervene in those kinds of situations. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, geez, if I had been there, I would have just called 911 and told the dispatcher everything I was saying, and that would have been fine. Uh, on the same token, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, you know what, I'm going to go put my life a little bit at greater risk than it is currently by intervening and trying to help a neighbor. So uh, uh, like you said, this is America, but I also say, you know, that's the kind of thing you might want to think about in advance. What am I willing to go risk my life for? And you might say, my neighbor, yes. Another person might say, uh, no. And that's, I think both people are right. It's totally cool. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Awesome. So what's next? We've oh, this got, is a good one. This yeah. is one of those where I want to send a dirty letter to the journalist. <laughs> so this now, is... I'll, I'll, I'll give the where the rundown and then I want to hear uh, All right. All right. thoughts. Milton man dies after reportedly being shot by homeowner. So Milton, Florida, an unidentified adult man is dead after reportedly being shot by a Milton homeowner Saturday, October 21st, just after 1240 AM. So this would be like this last Friday, you know, into Saturday morning, Friday night into Saturday morning. So it's technically Saturday morning. Yeah. This last weekend, Santa Rosa County Sheriff's office dispatch center received a 911 call. Uh, the caller stated an individual was screaming for help at the front door. During the 911 call, a gunshot was also heard over the phone. Dispatch was then told that someone had been shot by a resident. 
When deputies arrived on the scene, CPR was in progress on an unresponsive adult male who was on the front porch of the residence lying next to a bat. I assume by that they mean a baseball bat. Uh, responding EMS staff later pronounced the individual deceased, most likely due to a gunshot wound. Take it away, Jacob. Well, first, I'm surprised <laughs> you jumped immediately to baseball bat. I mean, maybe maybe he had an actual bat, you know? Maybe the bat got shot. Poor bat. <laughs> Why do you hate bats? It, right? it is Halloween, you know, season, yeah. after all. <laughs> bats can live in eaves of houses. This is Florida. It's not that maybe it was a Maybe it was a decorative bat, you know, a rubber bat. Maybe. Either way, I think you're jumping to conclusions. <laughs> so anyway, all right. So here's the deal. If you'll go to this news story, the, the link is in the show notes. You could read this entire thing until almost the last paragraph and be under the impression that the homeowner is the criminal and the guy who's been shot is the victim. I mean, think of even the headline, Milton Mann dies after reportedly being shot by homeowner. Right. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't. Milton Mann dies after reportedly being shot when by homeowner when he tries to break into a homeowner's house. You know, a Milton Mann with baseball bat trying to get into home is shot by homeowner. Like th- those, those would be headlines that actually say what happened. This could, you know, you you could read that headline and be like, this homeowner shot this guy. Not cool. And then you read through it, and it, like the whole story, like just totally buries it. You know, an unidentified adult man is dead after being reportedly shot by a homeowner. Um, you know, the cops are called. The caller stated on nine one one that an individual was screaming for help at the front door. During the nine one one call, a gunshot was heard over the phone. Dispatch told that someone had been shot by a resident. You know, just that uh, you keep on going. When deputies arrived on the scene, CPR was in progress on an unresponsive adult male. And it's almost like you're feeling bad. You're like, this poor guy, you know, and he's laying there next to a dead bat who obviously was probably shot also. Um, not a baseball bat. And, and you know, you just keep on. And then, oh, the EMS staff later pronounced the individual deceased, most likely due to a gunshot. You read the whole thing. And only at the very, very end do you get this. All initial indicators are leading investigators to believe that this was an incident in which the homeowner's use of force was for the protection of their life and property. <laughs> like, like this is horrible journalism. Horrible. <laughs> it's sensational. Candace Zamora wants us to feel bad for the criminal. <laughs> By the way, this is on uh, wearetv.com. That's W-E-A-R-T-V.com, an ABC Channel 3 uh, station in uh, in Florida there. Um, yeah, I completely agree with you, Jacob. As I read this story the first time, I was like, well, wait a minute. You know, like it, it made it sound like somebody called 911 from inside this house and that somebody outside their front door is yelling for help. And then somehow, magically, this person gets shot. Now, you know, the fact is there it is terrible reporting and we don't know what really happened here because it could actually have been that where I don't know. person inside the house calls 911 because they hear this disturbance outside and outside what's happening is a man with a baseball bat is attacking someone else and it's that someone else that's yelling for help. And then somehow, I guess they produce, you know, like it's just, it's weird. But then it's, it's kind of clear because they say that the uh, that their, their belief is that the homeowner's use of force was for protection of their life and property. So it seems to suggest then that it was the, the homeowner or someone within that home where the 911 call was placed from is 
who used deadly force. Um, yeah, it's really a kind of a confusing story, but here's why I, I liked this story or why I left it in our outline for today is because it mentions that, you know, the individual that was shot is lying on the front porch of the residence next to a bat. And yes, I know I'm jumping to conclusions, but I think it's a completely reasonable conclusion to jump to. Uh, uh, you know, th- th- this is a baseball bat. And which, I mean, my son plays baseball. He has a couple of baseball bats. They are not weapons until they're used as one. Uh, it's not, f- I-, I guess my point is, is that things, um, we need to be prepared for all scenarios. And that this is whatever happened here is a, is probably a little bit outside the norm, but it's apparent that someone felt that their life was threatened by someone else who had apparently a weapon of some sort and caused them to fear for their life, and that they then you know drew or used a weapon, a firearm against them, and um, I mean there you have it. Uh, it's just, you, you got to be, you know, so I was thinking the other day, Jacob, actually yesterday, I was at church and there was a point during church, during the service that I recognized that I had let my guard down entirely. You know, you just get distracted by things, right? And I real, I, you know, the thought I had was that, hmm, something could have happened right you know, during this five or 10 minute span where I was just was, I was so focused on the service, you know, focused on God or whatever, you you know, and my, my guard is down, you know, and we got to be prepared for just about anything, you know, as often as we can be because crazy stuff happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Including crazy dudes with bats, even the yeah. rubber kind. You never know. <laughs> Final story. I, oh, wait. Maybe not quite. I think we have two more. I'll try to go through these quickly. Uh, armed robbery suspect shot by victim's son. This is Nor- New Orleans PD. Uh, th- this one also jumped out at me because you have a situation. You have a woman, who, a 39-year-old woman. She's getting into her vehicle when she's approached by two masked men. Now, this was at 12.30 p.m. So this is bright you know, day- daylight. This is in the broad daytime. And uh, one of these suspects is a 20-year-old male. The other one is in his early 30s, it says. Uh, they approach this woman as she's getting into her vehicle. They take out handguns and yell at her to get on the ground. But as one of the men tried to take her purse, she tried to back away. The other man then grabbed her by her hair and threw her to the ground. The first man then picks up the purse. These two robbers then took off ro- running with the victim's son in pursuit. The robbers reached a backyard uh, nearby there. They reportedly fired shots at the victim's son. The son, who was not injured, told police he returned fire and possibly struck one of the robbers, according to police. Uh, The police set up a perimeter in the area. They caught uh, these two suspects, both wearing dark clothing and masks. Uh, It appears that both these uh, robbers, you know, uh, as, as was mentioned, one of them was uh, supposedly hit by gunfire, uh, but they they will su- uh, survive those wounds, and they have been booked into jail and charged with crimes, armed robbery, aggravated assault, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And they they have a they have a history of crime. Yep. 
And a couple of interesting thoughts. This is actually a really good one for us because we, we can get some actual discussion and some tactics and strategy uh, here. So uh, it's interesting to me, you know, the things must have happened very quick because the, the victim's son was close enough to witness all this and to be able to give chase, but not close enough to be able to intervene in the incident itself. So I was trying to think, like, was he already in the car? You know, maybe sitting in the passenger seat, like texting on his phone. His mom opens the door, and as she's trying to get in, these two guys assault her, and he's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And before he can kind of get out of the car and do anything, they're already running. That's possible. Um, You know, was he behind her, you know, kind of, you know, coming out of the store, uh, you know, she, you know, maybe he checked out after her. And so he was coming out with his, I don't, I don't know. Um, but you know, you, you got to kind of think through some of these things and there's always strength in numbers. And then, and then we have the situation where we're giving chase, right? We got the bad guys who we know have guns, you know, they're, the guns are in their hands and they're running off. And so I'm like, Hey, I got a gun and I don't want these dudes to get away with my mom's purse. So I'm going to chase them too. So the first obvious question is, should they have been giving chase or should he have been giving chase or not to these criminals? And that's a hard one to answer. Uh, I mean, certainly he, he didn't want them to get away. He must've felt strongly about that. Um, maybe there's more on the line than the purse. Maybe his mom, uh, he checked her first and she, her injuries were okay, or she was going to be fine. We don't know. Maybe he should have stuck with her and, and made sure she was okay. Those are all questions to be thinking about because in the moment, the emotion can really drive you to do something that in hindsight may not have been the best decision, but let's move on past that. I'm chasing now. I'm chasing these dudes and maybe I'm getting close. I'm watching them. They, they hop this fence in this backyard or something and they see me. They turn around and start shooting. Okay. And so I draw my gun and I shoot back. Well, I'm in a public area. They're in someone's backyard. Where are my shots going? Am I, you know, I don't know how the distance, we don't know how close it was, you know, how, you know, how, how easy is it to make those shots or how easy is it for those shots to miss target and go on, hit some innocent person beyond. So those are other things that would be very difficult in the moment with that emotion and that adrenaline pumping through my veins for me to stop and think like, wait a minute. Like, can I actually hit these dudes? Am I going to miss? Like, who else is around here? So those are all things that, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to condemn or judge anyone's decisions because it's all very hard to say. But those are some things you might think about when you read this news story. You know, to your point earlier where you su- suggested that perhaps this the son of the initial victim here uh, was not immediately able to, to respond uh, to her aid, uh, you know, perhaps he didn't see initially that uh, these guys had weapons and thus um you know gave chase uh thinking that you know he's just chasing them down um you know like like you said you you made a lot of uh suppositions but we don't really know a lot of the you know fine details to the matter here but it's a kind of a fascinating story because uh it, it seems apparent to me that he did not uh, make effort to use deadly force until he was being fired upon, at which point, you know, it's certainly appropriate for him to do so if that's the case. And uh, I, I hear you, you know, as you're dis- describing, well, they're in somebody else's backyard, they're they're out in a public space or whatever it is, uh, they're out in the open, um, you know, he's firing back as they're firing at him. And yeah, it, that is always a consideration that we must take into account is that for every bullet that we fire that leaves the muzzle of our gun, uh, we are accountable for. And uh, we need to be mindful of... Uh, you know, of where and how we are firing, uh, firing those rounds at uh, someone like this. And this, this is clearly a situation that escalated, uh, quickly and got out of, you know, 
really quite a scary situation. I mean, him chasing them down and them firing at him, I'd say he's quite lucky that that uh, he he himself was the son was not uh, struck in this process. Either way, you know, at the end of the day, once again, a lawfully owned and used gun saves the the day. I mean, barring all this other craziness and uh, you know what ifs. Uh, that's that's what uh, this part of this podcast is all about. Is hey, you know, good good people uh, stopping thugs. Um, you know, in just in a justified manner, and we're glad that uh, the son and the mother are are okay. Um, so yeah, good stuff, good analysis. Final story, and uh, uh boy, I, I put this one last. Not a lot of details here necessarily, but this is kind of a crazy story because and, and it's very specific in that it says a CPL holder. Now this was in Detroit, Michigan. And so in in Michigan, a concealed handgun or concealed carry permit is called a CPL, a concealed pistol license. And this was in the Highland Park area uh, of Detroit. A man in his early 20s is dead after another man in his 20s with a concealed pistol license shot him in an act of self-defense at a Highland Park gas station just after midnight Saturday, a city official said. This is the same time frame as this last story we just, or excuse me, two two stories ago. Um, just, you know, basically Friday night into Saturday morning, early morning. The CPL holder had driven with an unidentified passenger to the Sunoco gas station at Hamilton and Webb, east of the Lodge Freeway. When he parked, two masked men came from the back of the gas station and started firing shots at the car. What? <laughs> That's what I, you know, like, this just doesn't happen very often, Jacob, where, you know, these, a lot of times something develops before we get to shots being fired. In this case, this guy shows up at the gas station, parks, and immediately two guys show up with masks and start firing on them in the car. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, there might be a backstory. Maybe they know this guy and they hate him and he stole their girlfriend. I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, right. to, to, as far as we're aware, there's no buildup. You, are, you know, the 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 victim in this case is immediately assaulted with gunfire. That, that's yeah. the main takeaway. And, and you know, it, well, and it could also have been a, uh, a case of mistaken identity, right? You know, sure. where, where maybe there was something like that in the backstory, and they got, you know, he just happens to drive the same car as uh, the dude that these guys were looking for. But uh, one thing I think is certain is that this guy is a law abiding citizen because he has a concealed pistol license. Uh, so it just isn't a very likely scenario that you have someone that's law abiding to the point that they go through an FBI background check and they get a permit and they're the type of person that two thugs just immediately start firing upon, uh, you know, at a gas station. But, uh, here's, here's the, what I, what I describe as the cool part, the cool part, because this guy I assume I'm making a little bit of an assumption here, but he he keeps his cool in that he is able to draw his weapon and fire back, killing one of the shooters. The second masked man, uh, described only as a black male wearing all black, was able to get away. Police consider the shooting a matter of self-defense, 
And it is it appears, based on this story at least, uh, that the CPL holder and his passenger, neither one of them are hurt or injured, which I would say is probably very fortunate um, as being trapped inside a vehicle that's being fired upon is a pretty, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a kill zone. That's a death trap. Uh, so they're very fortunate, but I mean, like I said, this guy keeps his cool, uh, gets his gun out, returns fire, strikes one of the, one of the bad dudes and you know, puts an end to the threat. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness that, that gun wasn't in the, in the console or the glove box or in the gun safe at the back seat. You know, uh, he, he was, you know, when, when you literally get out of the car and you are immediately under gunfire, you don't have time to go retrieving it from anyone else. And Riley, you and I both have friends who that's, that's their system. Like they got a gun in the safe at the house. They got a gun in the car and that, you know, they don't want to be troubled or they don't think that the inconvenience justifies, you know, the, the potential benefit justifies the inconvenience of actually having to have it on their person all the time. Well, you know, this would be one of those where he and his passenger could be dead. Uh, that that critical and that that huge that that gun was on him in that moment. So that might be a major takeaway here is, man, that gun sitting in the console, not good enough. Well, you know, from this story, though, uh, just to be fair, it, it's not exactly clear if uh, it, it seems to me that he's still in the vehicle when the shooting begins. And and so had he had it in the center console, he maybe could have still, you know, I don't, I don't think that would necessarily have kept him from deploying it quickly in this, in this case. However, I do believe that it is always best practice to have the gun on your person. And, uh, you know, I've talked about it before and, uh, I'll talk about it again, but honestly, one of the best ways and places to carry concealed, uh, in a vehicle is, on your person in the appendix position. Oh, nice segue, Riley. Way to throw that one up because you know we have an announcement to make. <laughs> that is true. And yes, that was a very intentional segue. <laughs> but uh, we applaud this guy for being able to do what he did. So let's go ahead, I think, and now we will talk about this uh, exciting announcement, which we have dubbed the Appendix Carry Challenge. The appendix carry challenge. So here's the deal. We want to challenge you, our listeners, to attempt to carry uh, your firearm in the appendix position, the appendix carry position. Uh, and, and we specifically want to derive some input from people who take this challenge. So, so let, me, let me just kind of give you the, the nuts and bolts. And then if you want, we can talk about more about the why here. But here are the nuts and bolts. For those who are interested... You can go to a website. We're about to give you the link. So probably this is going to be a good time to like pull over and get a pen and paper or something. But we're about to give you a link. You go to this website and you're going to answer some questions, some demographic-based things, age, gender, state you live in, you know, stuff like that. You're going to give us some information about your concealed carrier background, your CCW background, how many years you've had your permit, how often you carry, your current position of choice, where you carry on your body, some background if you've ever tried appendix carry before, and if so, you know, how to go or did it go well or bad for you. And we're going to ask uh, you to commit. So don't, don't bother going to this website if you're not willing to commit to a couple of things. One, you know, anybody who's chosen of this, from this challenge, you have to commit to carrying concealed in the appendix position for 21 days. So basically three weeks, 
you're going to have to carry there in that position like you would normally. So maybe you don't have to have it on you 24 hours a day, but as you would normally carry, we expect you to carry in the appendix position over 21 days. You have to commit to doing some actual draw and fire drills. So it's not enough for you to just wear it there for, for 21 days. We want you to actually go to a range or you can do it dry fire and you know do some drills coming out of the holster uh, so that you get some sense for actual, you know, does it work for you in that environment above and beyond just carrying it around? And you have to be willing to record some video uh, of yourself answering some questions about your experience. So if all that sounds good to you, you're, you might be thinking right now, that sounds like a crap load of work that I'm going to have to go through. Like, what's in it for me? And here's the answer. To those who are selected, and there won't be a lot of people selected, about a dozen people. So I highly recommend you, you, get, you get on this. But to those who are selected, we will ship you a handful of things. First and foremost, a holster a holster that's worth 60 plus dollars that you've never heard of because it's not on the market yet. This is a brand new product that is going to be launching next month. And so the manufacturer of this product has agreed to ship them out to the people we select to participate in the appendix carry challenge. So I can't give a lot more details about the holster right now, but you will get one for free. You're also going to get some swag. You're going to get some hearing protection. You're going to get an armory tool. You're going to get some gun maintenance related products, uh, which have great value. And if you complete the challenge, we're also going to send you a t-shirt. So all, all around, it's more than $100 worth of stuff uh, that you'll receive if selected. And if you're interested, get ready for the website. Here it comes, www.concealedcarry.com forward slash A-C-C. Just the three letters, it stands for Appendix Carry Challenge. So concealedcarry.com forward slash A-C-C. Answer the questions on that page. Check the box that you're willing to do what we're asking. And in the next couple of days, we'll be going through all those entries. We'll be selecting about a dozen people to participate in the Appendix Carry Challenge. Wow, that is awesome and super exciting. Uh, <laughs> I'm really stoked to see how this goes down. Uh, so I think Jacob did a pretty solid job of just giving giving you all the all the all of the details. Uh, just to throw out my own two cents, I mean, you're going to get a free holster and a bunch of free, awesome crap. Okay, not crap, awesome stuff. And I was just doing some rough math, Jacob, based on everything that you and I had talked about putting in, uh, you know, these little kits that we send out to participants in the Appendix Carry Challenge. And it's going to be pretty darn close to about $150 worth of free stuff, maybe even a little more. Uh, that's yours to keep just as long as uh, you'll, you'll agree to go through with this challenge and uh, complete it. And uh, I, I'm excited. It's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. And, 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 you know, if you, if you're like, Oh my gosh, appendix carry, I, I don't know if I'm willing to commit to this kind of a challenge. We're not going to ask you to do anything dangerous. <laughs> There's a lot of people out there who carry an appendix. Uh, we're going to give you the tools. We're going to give you some direction and this is going to be a great opportunity for you to put this to the test. And, and we're not saying that in 21 days you're going to be converted. Uh, you might do this for 21 days and say, you know, I'm going back to my old system. That'd be perfectly acceptable. But we are looking for people who are willing to do something different and to participate in this challenge. You know what? I'm willing to throw out one other thing as a bonus, Jacob. Uh-oh. Yeah. And uh, you might kill me for, you know, committing to this because you know, I already have so many other pending projects. But I'm just going to say... That those that uh, that sign up for and are selected for this special appendix carry challenge, I will send them their own personal video from me 
demonstrating this new holster product that they're going to be demoing and how to safely draw and holster and use this uh, this appendix carry holster product. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's that's valid. That's a, that's a great idea. And so a lot of value to this. And you know, who doesn't want to get their hands on some product before it hits the market? Absolutely. Cool. Awesome. And well, besides that great news, um, today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation, which is one of the fastest growing tribes of self-defense shooters nationwide. You've heard it before. Why haven't you joined yet? What do you get, Jacob? You get, you, you highlighted, I think, a lot of this last time. The shooter skill library, you get access to that, a bunch of custom, you know, behind the firewall uh, training videos that are for Guardian Nation members only. You get access to the Guardian Nation live broadcasts that we do each month, as well as the entire archive of past recordings, which that obviously gets bigger and bigger every month and more and more valuable. You also get 10% off everything sold at concealedcarry.com. You get a box of gear shipped to you quarterly. Fun gear, useful gear, uh, no additional cost. That's just included in the membership. You're going to get it if you're a member, if you're a qualifying member, which means being either a monthly paid paid member for at least three months or you're paying mo- mo- or excuse me, quarterly or yearly, you're going to automatically qualify for those uh, boxes of gear. And also, you'll get a certificate for a free training course, one one per year for each year that you are a member, and that has huge value in of itself. Trust me, it's a no-brainer. What you are going to pay into to become a member of Guardian Nation, you will more than get back if you make full full use of the membership. Even just get in the gear that you're automatically going to get sent to you, you'll get your money back. Everything else is above, way above and beyond in terms of value. Go to guardiannation.com and join today. Don't delay. <laughs> wow, today's that was other a good sp- one. Yeah. Today's other sponsor is Sports of Field. And you've also probably, if you're, if you're familiar with the podcast, we've talked about these guys a bunch of times. We, we love them. We love their products. Uh, I use my Sports of Field uh, safe products every day. And so store your guns responsibly and safely and securely, but yet still have quick access to them. This is something that is so important to me. Uh, every night I go to bed, I prepare a gun, at least one gun, uh, oftentimes more, but uh, at least I have got one gun prepared next to my bedside each night in a quick access safe, much like these sports of field uh, uh, quick access vaults. And it is ready to go and it is quick access, you know, for those times where, because otherwise when I'm awake, I'm carrying. So check out sports of field. We have their full lineup at concealedcarry.com forward slash sports of field, S-P-O-R-T-S-A-F-I-E-L-D. And every safe or vault purchase, this, this is the thing that just blows me away, Jacob. Every purchase comes with a free year subscription to the Sports of Field magazine, the same magazine that's been published since 1887. So if you'd like to get a free subscription plus an awesome security slash, or excuse me, security vault slash safe, <laughs> go to concealedcarry.com forward slash sports a field. I think it's funny that you're blown away by the free magazine subscription. To me, you know, like the lifetime warranty on their safes that even includes paint and free shipping is a bigger deal. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I'm blown away because, you know, how do they give away that magazine and still make money on these things? <laughs> I, 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 I suppose perhaps that's a good point. Yeah, I don't but know. but you made a very valid point too. Lifetime warranty and uh, really, really great products and really good customer service too. So anyway, hope that you'll check them out and support our sponsors that in turn support us and make this podcast possible. Oh, and before I forget, uh, what, just a reminder that if you want to contact us, reach out to us, send us a question, comments, uh if you have a review for us that you'd like to share, but you, you you're not comfortable putting it out there in the public, uh, whatever, that's totally fine. We'd love to hear from you. And so we just recently set up an email address dedicated to the podcast. And so that is podcast at concealedcarry.com. Podcast at concealedcarry.com. Shoot us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Appreciate it. So, we're going to sign off there and leave it uh, for, for, for uh, another episode where we'll, we'll, get, we'll see you back here in a few days. So we'll let you go with a train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.